0: Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends at 8,
1: 1618 after 131-2020. $1, 30, $1, pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speeds after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit. The 3 activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply.
0: Now, for the Art Bell iTunes five star rating and reviews. If you haven't heard, if you go to iTunes and leave a five star rating and review, you get a shout out on the following week's show. And this week's shout outs is The Browns, Eat My Whopper, which is a messed up name, Shopper, Logger Seth, D Miller 1124, Incredible Hulk, Brit Page Boo, JT Honey 89, I Heard You from Canada, Kwanzaa from the UK, Super Stretch from the UK, JPD-6261 from Australia... Brett Starr from Australia, and Daz181 from Australia. Thank you very much for going to iTunes and leaving that five-star rating and review. iTunes is the biggest platform for podcasts in the world. So when you do that, it helps the show out a great deal. And if you want to help the show out another way, go to patreon.com forward slash the confessionals and sign up to become a patron. There's a lot of great rewards for doing so, and you get a shout-out on the following week's show. And this week's shout-outs is... Dawn R and Gail D. So thank you very much for going to patreon.com forward slash the confessionals and signing up to become a patron. It means a lot to me. I appreciate it very much. Now, for this week's show, we have a returning guest from episode 40, Beast of Britain, the one and only Andy McGrath. Andy McGrath is coming back to give us some updates on what's going on in the UK and also to talk about the fact that he's coming over to the United States for about two or three week period. And he's going to be doing three different events where he's going to be speaking at a couple of them. So definitely look forward to seeing him on stateside without any further delay. Let's get to Andy right after this.
1: Is your check engine light on? Don't ignore it. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free. We'll retrieve the codes, discuss possible solutions, and even help you find a professional technician if needed. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today for our free check engine light help. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day.
2: Oh oh oh! O'Reilly Auto Parts. Is your
1: check engine light on? Don't ignore it. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free. We'll retrieve the codes, discuss possible solutions, and even help you find a professional technician if needed. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today for our free check engine light help. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day.
2: O, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
0: Okay, tonight I am visited again with a great guest. His name is Andy McGrath, and he actually was on episode forty, "The Beast of Britain," and uh, that was a great episode, man. And I want to welcome you to the show once again. Probably about a year later, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, thank you, Tony. Yeah, really um, busying up at this time and and getting ready to to come to the U.S. to do a couple of tours. Yeah, so tell us tell us about these tours that you're doing and stuff. I know you got a lot of stuff going on here. Sure. So I'm, uh, a really
4: super, super chuffed and grateful actually to be talking at, uh, international, uh, cryptozoology conference, uh, with, uh, hosted by Lauren Coleman at the, um, cryptozoology museum in Portland, Maine. So that's going to be on, on the first and second of September. Some really, really great people talking there. Uh, Crypto Wendigo is there. We've got Colin Schneider. We've got Jeff Meldrum. Um, it's one of my heroes, and Lauren of course, and, and others too, and uh, and me. I'm sort of <laughs> sneaking in, you know, stowaway into the <laughs> conference. But I'll be speaking there too. Uh, I don't know how or why, but they, they've let me in. And um, after that, I'm meeting uh, Katie Elizabeth, uh, who's you know, the Lake Champlain uh, lady. She's been stationed at Lake Champlain, looking at the Champ now, I think, for, for about 10 years, I believe. Um, and has recently rewritten the new law in Vermont protecting the species and then got it to be pluralized as well. So it's a plural species, not just one animal. Uh, so we'll be meeting there. She's talking at the conference. and We'll be driving down to Lake Champlain uh, for four or five days, I believe. And after that, I'm hopping on a plane down the Crypticon. Uh, we have people like uh, David Paulides, uh Travis Walton, uh, Bobo and Cliff from Finding Bigfoot and, and Bob Gimlin. You know, the man with the film, the original Paddy film. So I do literally feel like a tiny, tiny speck (laughs) amidst these big, glowing, you know, bright lights of of this uh, genre. And um, I can only hope that they don't figure out that I don't know anything
2: (laughs) before (laughs) I get to
4: the end of it and do my whole talk. So I'm actually busy every night, sort of, pushing it, pulling it together, getting the presentation, which, since I'm so on tech will be kind of PowerPoint with some sheets in my hand and some pictures and you know she basically laid out lines so I'm just hoping that the British thing will just carry me through That people will just be mesmerized
0: by that British accent <laughs> by the accent and he must know what he's talking about
4: <laughs> it happens a lot I did point out actually to my I like good friends Les and Chad recently on the Explorer show. I pointed out to them that it sounds intelligent, but it rarely is intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we've been getting. Soon, it's probably how we got that whole colonization thing around the world but way back when. We just, you know, flashed the accent, and they said, "Well, they seem to know what we're talking about. Let's just give them our country." <laughs> <laughs> so that's my schedule anyway. From the end of August. Until uh, I think I'm I'm going to be there from the thirty first of August until the twelfth of September.
0: Wow, Vince, so you'll be out here for a little bit. Uh, mm. That's really cool, man. That's that's uh, really cool to hear that things are progressing for you, and you know you're being invited to do these different things. That's a very exciting thing to do. I mean, to be able to speak and and be hosted at uh, places with such re- recognizable names and things like that. So uh, kudos to you, man. And if, if anybody's listening that is near those places and stuff, definitely go check it out and stuff. Um uh, Yeah. I mean, if go back and listen to episode 40. Andy's got a lot of uh, things that he could talk about and share, and we're going to get into those tonight. Uh, So Andy, we got some Bigfoot sightings we want to start off with, man. So what's going on? So the British Bigfoot,
4: you know, this is a a really
0: contested
4: subject in cryptozoology, and especially in British cryptozoology. There's there's the, uh, I suppose, a 14 side of things that's kind of run cryptozoology here for a long time. That thinks of these sightings as more of um, a spiritual thing, like the woo or uh, as a form thing, which is a a term that was coined by Jonathan Downs, the head of the uh, Centre for Fortune Zoology in Britain, and, you know, a a long-term instigator and supporter of of, um, uh, the paranormal and cryptozoology studies in this country. So there's that whole thing there, and there's another bunch of people, including myself, that think that these are just animals. that are probably based upon. Uh, we were probably represented as the Woodwose, the, you know, the the man of the the forest, hairy man of the forest. That was depicted in the Middle Ages in this country on the heraldry of of our nobles and on lots of different, you know, famous paintings as as looking more or less as a, as the American Sasquatch is supposed to look now, is a, a hairy bipedal ape like man. So we have. Um, The British Bigfoot Research Group has actually compiled, I think it's around about 470 sightings at the moment. They've got an interactive map that you can look at where the sightings are simply relayed in exactly the same language uh, as the witnesses given them. It's verbatim every time. So nothing is is, um, added to that. Now, I was lucky enough recently to get in touch with a a very nice man called Hal Smith, who was a, a primate keeper for 37 years. He worked in zoos in this country and all, all around the world, spent a lot of time working with um, chimpanzees and, and gorillas as well. And uh, he was with his brother in um, a place called Abernethy Forest in Scotland, uh, which is, uh, is part of what remains of the old Caledonian forest, uh, so in Strathsby in the Scottish Highlands. So it's, it's not too far from Loch Ness just to, to place it you know, in your mind. Um, it's about 4,000 hectares of forest, so it's it's large for the UK, but it's not incredibly large. Lots of uh, red and roe deer and, and black grouse and all types of you know wild animals and blackberries and you know, rabbits, all kinds of food sources, lots and lots of food sources. And he's had a, a sighting here with his brother, anyway, in 2012. Now, just to give you an idea of what Scotland is like, it's um, it's about five million, 5.4 million people. And uh, I think 1.9% of the total landmass of Scotland is urban landscape. So this is its a very wild environment. It's very under-inhabited. So lots of space for for something to roam around. So Hal, anyway, he was hunting with his brother in this forest. And um, they'd gone out in the morning and he was just, you know, as you do when you're hunting or being careful, being very quiet and being aware of his brother's heavy footsteps. And he saw in front of him, next to a blackberry bush, a dog figure crouching down with its back to him. And he's about 50 feet away, looked to be about five or two crouching. And, uh, it was eating berries from the bush and suddenly it raised its head a little, turned slightly towards him and stood up and turned and looked at him. Now, his description, and remember, as a primary keeper of this animal's, was seven to eight feet tall, covered in jet black hair, except for the upper chest and face, and the skin was a very dark color, except for the bottom lip, which was pink. He said it had a wide nose and large eyes. His features reminded him of an older, but noble chimpanzee, so it was slightly balding on top. Uh, but he said the face was much, much flatter, so around the mouth, so I suppose it looked like it had no muzzle. Um he said it was about four feet across the shoulders, longer hair on the forearms and on the chin and he as a, an experienced uh, primary keeper said he's never been so scared in his whole life it never threatened them it never moved towards them it just stared at them for a little while and um, he put his rifle down and it turned and, and walked away just looking back from time to time to see wow. the, if they were following it, that's it and it was gone and from that point, he was um, he was hooked. He said they returned to camp. He said he actually turned around; his brother was already gone. He'd gone back to camp, and when he got back to camp, he was he'd packed the entire camp up. <laughs> and uh, which I love because these are very natural details of a real shocking incident. You know that you don't realise that you've left your family member alone. You're just thinking, well, let's get. Hell out of here. I'll get a head start and pack that camp right up. So that's what it's done. And how since then has been you know, he's been engaged, uh, privately mostly. he doesn't want his, his zoo colleagues to know he believes in Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, because, you know, even as a primate keeper that's that's a career death. Sure. Yeah, and he said he had mentioned it in, a, in an older zoo that he was working in after the sighting, he works in a different zoo now, and it made things very awkward for him. So anyway, he's in a new zoo now, and he's he's working privately with uh, 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 chimpanzees, mainly, across Europe. And in his spare time, he's he's looking around the UK for, at, at Bigfoot sightings and in places where we've had sightings. So he's a very useful man to have in the field. So, that to me, that's one of the most significant sightings I've heard about in years because Absolutely. of the qualification.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, his career directly applies to this topic. And mm. the fact that he has, he, that he's had a sighting and will admit it to people mm. is very, it, it's, that's a rarity. That's a rarity. I mean, a lot of times, uh, these people who have these sightings that actually really are, Within these types of fields, like biologists and things like that, they don't talk about it. They don't talk about it. And more often than not, I think as time goes on, they just chalk it up as a bad memory and they're just, they, they, they must have misunderstood what they were looking at.
4: I think so. And I, I think, you know, our minds have this little place when something very unusual and disturbing happens. We're able to tuck that event into that place, compartmentalize it and say, and put everything else in, back into reality. So you take that little chunk out. That goes into into the compartment and we reform reality you know in the other section um and he was shocked by this it, it took him time to really qualify what he'd seen and yet he's got all of this experience so um I mean what he did say to me which is very interesting was that what he be- he believed that what he saw was a simian and not a hominid so this is a big argument of you know is this a relic hominid or is it some form of ancient man or is it an ape of some kind? I believe that we think it's a, um, a hominid because it's upright and being upright means man-like. But of course, lots of animals are, are, walk on two legs. But this has got a man-like body. It's fair enough. It could convince you that the face is very flat, which convinces people that they're looking at a man-like creature too. But again, I think it's the lack of a muzzle, the separation of features. And unlike most apes, that gives us that manlike feel again. Surely, you know, there could possibly be an animal, an ape-like animal that has those features, and we're just um, projecting, you know, our our um, our mental library of images onto the creature and saying, well, it's kind of like a man and like a monkey. Everybody says that all the time, don't they? And I think it's because of this this flat this flat face and this, this, uh, lack of a muzzle. Anyway, that's my take on it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's pretty fascinating, man. And I, you know, this topic of Sasquatch has been around for so long and there's been so many different theories and ideas as to what these things are. Uh, but I do know this, that I'm sure you have gotten flack over the years for researching <sighs> this topic in England. Uh, it's especially,
4: especially here. In fact, I'm still receiving, I mean, Deborah Hatchell of the British Bigfoot Research Group. She gets most of it because she's the head of it and she's a personal, she's a witness as well. So that's what started her journey four decades ago. She had this experience in Boyle Hill Park near Manchester, Salford near Manchester. It's in the
2: sort
4: sort of towards Northern England. And, um, she was playing truant from high school with a friend. I think she was about 15 years old. And they were in this big manor house estate. There was a park you could go into. They century gardens and woods surrounding it. And she saw a seven foot tall Bigfoot uh, lean out of the bushes and sort of move towards them. And she, you know, she freaked out as any 15 year old girl would. Threw her friend to the floor so it'd get her first. <laughs> These are panic. These are things I like in stories. This is a panic response and ran home, and she said she didn't leave the house for three years until she started trying to figure out what she'd seen, and then she found other witnesses and reports, and now their group, the British Bigfoot Research Group, it's a hub for people to safely go and report these things and not be mocked or vilified, and and what would happen before if they went to the other cryptozoology groups is that they would say, oh, you saw a ghost, or you saw a zoo-form animal a spiritual creature that appeared to be animal-like, or that, you know, you're being silly or imagining things. These are from the so-called experts' at the time. Uh, And that scene is changing. But there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. So we do receive uh, a bit of heat. (laughs) Let's put it mildly. We ignore it, mainly. We just get on with it and say, well, you know, these witnesses need somewhere to go. There is really nothing separating the description of these sightings and the American Sasquatch or the, R- the Russian Almas or the Yerin or the Orang Pendik, you know, for the similarities. Sure. It's just that they shouldn't be in Britain. Why? Oh, because it, there's not enough uh, uninhabited land. Well, okay. So there was the uh, the National Ecosystem Assessment in 2012. They actually determined that only 6.8% of the entire UK is built upon. Um, and that's including uh, rural developments and roads. So when you actually look at it there's tons of land everywhere but we're mostly dwelling in the cities so we don't feel that way. I live just outside of London. Uh in it's a, like a leafy suburb but still you know it's a busy place and you could be forgiven to, for thinking there's no there's no green space but it's actually everywhere. So that's the overview. Yes, lots of lack, lots of derision. I've, um, heard lots of compelling evidence like there is no British Bigfoot. That's one of the most compelling pieces we normally get.
0: <laughs> Sorry
4: to disappoint <laughs> you. There is no British Bigfoot. So, um, get over it or whatever. You know, that's, um, that always uh, takes me time to, to, <laughs> to disprove. Um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. But the witnesses are very reticent normally to come forward. I've not been able to get anybody on film at all yet which has been quite difficult because, you know, they've got jobs and they've got families and lives. And, you know, what happens when you say you've seen some animal that's not supposed to exist, not only anywhere in the world, but especially not here.
0: Yeah. There's a a guy, and I know we talked about him on the last show, but I do hold him with a lot of respect. uh, Jason, uh, on YouTube, he goes by Bigfoot Tony. Tony, Jason Parsons. Yeah. I know know you know him and things like that. And it's just, uh, the work that he does with video is very cool, very good. And, you know, talking about people who have expertise in certain fields that mm. apply to this. I mean, he is a very good photographer. He knows how cameras work. And he's I, he recently, I'd say a month or two ago, uh, posted an example on, on the Internet about how uh, this whole idea of pareidolia can really be a real issue when it comes to you taking pictures with your iPhone. Uh, that's and, right. and he took a picture of a, a, like just, you know, some bushes and stuff with his iPhone and he picked out some faces. He's, and they did. Yeah. They, they looked like faces. And if, if that's what you want to see, right? And then he took a picture with his camera, like a real good photographer's camera. And it's so much clearer when you zoom in and you just see it's just a bunch of branches. And oh, so yeah. he does a lot of yeah. great work. Are I, you, but in mean, paradolia,
4: this is, this is my, my kindest, um, point of view on it. Let's just say, if it's not clear enough to see, it's not evidence. Let's just say sure. that. Sure, you were there, you saw something, but the camera didn't see it. And, um, what we're making out here could be leaves and branches in certain positions and, so the paradolia part is too overpowering to, to consider this as evidence of any kind. And that's the best way to put it because, you know, all researchers, I think, should avoid telling any witness that they're lying. And some of them are very clearly lying. And, um, you know, obviously you've got to try to figure out what the reasons for that are. I usually hope that the reasons are financial because the other possibility is, is less appealing, um, for telling such lies. Because there's a psychological issue, isn't there? If that's the case, sure. um, And that's possible. You know, that, that that's a possibility. But normally, when people send me, you know, um, pictures with a red circle around them, and um, here is a dog man, and I think one guy once what did he send me there was a there two here in this picture, two dog men, and on this side uh, a juvenile Bigfoot. There was nothing. They were just trees and red circles. I was polite, and I said, okay, um, thank you for the pictures. Unfortunately, uh, I'm unable to make out what you photographed in this um, instance. Could you point them out to me? And he said, and this is going into the spiritual side of things now, or the, you know, the pseudo-spiritual side of things. Well, you can't see them because they're cloaked. Okay, fair enough. Okay, let's say these creatures can cloak, and these creatures you photographed
0: are cloaked, and you sent me the pictures. I said, if they're cloaked, why did you photograph them? right like what's the point point? and even even that why would they why send it to you like if they're yes, cloaked well, if you if, yeah. you if you took a picture because you knew they were cloaked and they're there so you wanted to take a picture for you fine yeah. but why would you send that picture to somebody that looks into these things and researches it uh if you know they're cloaked exactly but then i looked on the page this person's page and there's
4: hundreds of comments well done keep up the good work You know. It's just this groundbreaking the stuff that you're doing and it's literally just <laughs> pages and pages full of bushes. Um and, and, okay, i like you know, in the paranormal and I'm not a paranormal researcher and I'm that's one thing I always say to people, I'm I will not uh, I won't dismiss what you're saying. I won't look over and are there more things that I conceive of in, in reality. But I'm researching these things as animals. Not as paranormal things, not as uh, portals, uh, portal punches, you know, punching through and stepping out and killing a deer and eating it and then disappearing back into the spiritual realm. Because you know how much these ghosts just love venison, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just, where's the psychology, you know, where's the uh, logic in it? I think it all comes down to this, um, this, this thing, this time that we're in, this time where we're constantly looking for, This spiritual input, you know, uh, into something. That's why you have people gifting and saying, okay, you can gift to these creatures, I suppose, if same you could, as you could gift to a bear, right? You can leave some apples out for a bear, but then you've got bears on your property, right? Um, and I think it's probably the same with these animals. Maybe they, there's certain foods they like that might bring them in to take the foods if they're not very cautious, but you're not having telepathic messages from them, in my opinion, you know, they're not specifically speaking to you and it seems to me the people that have these special relationships and with the telepathic messages and the gifting and the the daily interactions never seem to produce any single photo or bit of (laughs) film of any convincing worth at all and yet surely they've got more chances than all of us put together right (laughs) sure you know if you or i see something we've got that couple of seconds to snap it but the daily gifters you know where's your camera Put a cam, like, put a GoPro on you. You don't even have to click.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. Get ten uh, GoPros get front and back, and just go and do your bit. So, I, I don't mean to mock it, and I I'm not really mocking. I'm just saying, whatever we present as evidence has to be evidential, right? Otherwise, it's not evidence. And so let's find whatever else you believe is okay apart from that.
0: Right. Uh, I do wonder sometimes, like with when it comes to those things. Uh, those people that have this activity on their pro if i had a crazy activity going on on my property consistently where it was like way i hear described sometimes like i i personally i would consider selling a car to buy all the equipment i need so that i can do this The sprint unlimited basic featuring tv from hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot plus for a limited time get five lines for only 120 dollars per month hurry to a sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1 offer ends at
1: 1618 after 131-2020 pay 32 dollars per month per line for five lines without a pay one hulu limited commercial plan for eligible sprint account mhs reduced to 3g speeds after 500 megabytes per month coverage and offer not available everywhere excludes taxes fees and roaming requires new lines subject to credit and 3 activation fee video streams up to 480 p speed maximums use rules and restrictions apply Is your check engine light on? Don't ignore it. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free. We'll retrieve the codes, discuss possible solutions, and even help you find a professional technician if needed. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today for our free check engine light help. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day.
2: O, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's Kevin Makeley from the film Big Legend, and you're listening to The Confessionals with Tony.
0: I want to kind of hit on another topic here, because I know you and I were talking a little bit about the lake monsters and stuff. What's going on with these things, man? So we've got Loch Ness. Everybody knows about Loch Ness. And that's something that's
4: been very, very, um, what 84 years it's been now, that this has been a big phenomenon in this country. And if you go to Loch Ness, um, I think they have something like three, four hundred thousand tourists come to the area every single year. But it's kind of like an old fairground, you know, from back in the day that's rusting and sort of wearing out. And the same sort of trips go on every day, the same boat trips and same excursions around. They've got the two uh, centers or so like nest Visitor Center and, and Nessie Land, which is more of a sort of commercial type of thing and it's a, it's a beautiful area you know 25 miles long about a mile and a half wide they say 750 feet deep but all of the hills uh, they're, they're covered in peat which is this really oh, my key substance that's very common in these very wet areas of the UK and it the water runs down the mountains through the peat into the lock and turns it brown. Even if you turn the tap on the lock, unless you get brown water. It's not bad for you, but it's you know, it's it's very murky. So you can't see really anything below twenty feet below the surface. And um, it's just a terrible, terrible <laughs> research area. It it really, really is bad. And I've been up there twice and it's um it's also, you know, there, a lot of researchers have been there for a very, very long time and it's it's kind of their territory, I suppose, in a way. Um, I think it's the most active area that we know about in the UK for for lake monster sightings. There are at least, you know, on a bad year, there's at least three. And on a good year, you can have up to 11, as they had, I think, in 2017. Um, Some of them are very clear, you know, head and neck above the water, uh, one or two on the banks of the... um, of of the Loch or in the the forest, and I think Royal Mottson just wrote a book about that called um, When Monsters Come Ashore. He's a he's a great Loch Ness researcher, probably the best there is, actually. And um, you know, it's just it's just a, a wonderful place to visit, but probably a very very unlikely location to prove the the um, the existence of the Loch Ness monster. Um, I personally probably would focus more on uh, Loch Morar, which is not too far away. It's uh, It's got eight miles of, of river that leads straight to the sea. It's not really obstructed very much. There have been lots of sightings there in Loch Mara, um including one of my, my favourite sightings, actually, which I believe was in the late 60s. I've just checked the date on that, actually. Um, Yes. So nineteen sixty nine, which my favourite sighting and talk, and that was uh a guy called Robert Duff was fishing uh from a boat in Maple Bay, uh, on the southern shore of Loch Morar, And uh what he spotted then was it was a monster sized lizard. He said lying motionless on the loch's white leaf stream bottom, looking up at him, estimated the creature to be twenty feet long, with a snake like earless head, slit eyes and a white mouth, so his body was grey brown with rough skin and it had four limbs. With three toes visible on each front foot, plus a tail, and he obviously was, you know, so unnerved by the creature that he left the area immediately. Uh, now there have been many, many other sightings of Loch Morar, but it's really underpopulated. I think it's got a population of about four thousand people in the small villages around the loch. One end of it is completely cut off; you can't get there uh, by car at all. And it's just a really great place to, you know, to have a, another possible monster. Um, in Scotland, you've got 31,460 lochs and lochens. Okay, and that doesn't include the, um, the sea lochs. And it's wow. just an amazing place, really. So one of the theories I had, since these creatures are normally spotted by themselves, very, very occasionally with young or, or others in tow, is that perhaps they were, have more of a roaming behavior, like a, like a tiger or something, that they're solitary animals. Perhaps come together to to breed or to to rear young. That um, they primarily, in many cases, move in and out from the sea. I think that happens in Loch Ness. And I think that when they are spotted in the Loch, for example, in Loch Ness, it's when they've come back in. You know, either through the other lochs, at like Loch Lochy and Loch, loch, loch Hoy. Um, that's a lot of lisping, by the way. <laughs> <Those> Scottish names. <laughs> they, um, they, <laughs> it's good if you've got a bit of phlegm already when you start to say those things. Um, they, uh, they both connect to Loch Ness. and there are the, the River Ness leads out to the sea on one side, and there's a more difficult chimney, uh, in the west, um, out to the sea, but it is possible. And there have been other sightings of similar monsters in these other lochs and, at both ends, in the River Ness, of course that's where St. Columba saw his monster in 565 AD, where the whole thing started, it was actually in the River Ness, not in Loch Ness at all. And, um, you know, there's a whole funny scene of him coming across the funeral of a man on the banks of the loch in 565 AD, and he's told that a monster killed the man. So he sends one of his disciples in to test the theory, and, uh, it's kind of him, you know, very, uh, very um, Christian, and then, you know, the monster appears and he rebukes it in the name of Christ and it's pulled away apparently as if with a strong rope and it, it, um, it leaves the man alone. Now, it's, a, it's interesting to say the least, but lots of things have lots of things attributed to them. I think in Loch Ness it's, it's significant because... There have been so many sightings over the years, and not just since they blasted the road in, in, in the thirties and started seeing the monster again. Uh, but because there's, there's a whole history, you know, of the water horses and the, um, the Kelpies in Scotland, Ireland. Um, so that's, you know, that's Scotland. There's a lot of places there where there's, there's a lot of monster Loch Lomond. Um, oh, gosh, Loch Orr. it just goes on and on, really. Um, one of the very interesting ones I like was the Firth of Tay monster. And there was a in 2015 in, in Tayport, which is near the Firth of Tay. It's in the, the east of Scotland. There, um, there was a, a film sighting. You can find it on on YouTube just by going to Tayport monster. And there's it's a multi-humped, this caterpillar hump type sea monster you hear talked about sometimes. And some guy's filming it from his window and and slowly you see that each hump go down and then there's a big splash as the head or some bulbous end goes into the water. And and that corresponds to uh, some sightings also that were made in the 60s um, along the A85 road between Perth and Dundee. And two different witnesses one hour apart, they actually were driving in opposite directions on that road. And they both described seeing a long gray shape with a head more than two feet long. that seemed to have pointed ears on it. They said the body was about 20 feet long and humped like a giant caterpillar. It was moving very slowly in the grass beside the road and didn't seem to have any legs. That one, to me, it's more like your um, Bernard Heuvelman's, you know, the Fuzz of Cryptozoology. It's more like his many-humped sea serpent description. Yeah. So we do have a few of those, too. Now, apart from that, there's lots all around the UK, UK and, and sea monsters as well, but all of a similar type of description. You know, we're talking about either a plesiosaur-like description or some other related animal. Uh, there was one I thought was specifically, could have been a mosasaur. That was you know, a bit of a stretch to guess that. And uh, another one I, I put down to being a, a type of nothosaurus because of the, the clawed feet that it was described as having and uh, a double serrated uh, cuirass. Over its back, and that was um, and that was spotted many, many times um, near the Barmouth estuary, which is uh, just off of Wales. There's lots of things like that. Now, I, I think I mentioned to you once. I know I'm sort of running away with this a bit, Tony. Sorry. Um, the Thames the Thames River monster, River Thames monster, that I was actually involved in searching for uh, between the first and second sighting in 2016. And it's actually the thing that encouraged me to, to start writing the book. Um, there were three filmed sightings, one from the cable car, um, near the O2 center, uh, one from a, a pleasure boat near Docklands and the third one from the, a, a speedboat tour, all of large hump creatures with a sort of snake-like formation. Very, very huge and length, been spotted in the River Thames, which is like in central London. It's unbelievable. Right, but there was um they weren't they weren't discredited these uh, these sightings these films and I was I was very shocked so I I went looking and found nothing, but um there you go one or two things kicking about
0: I always find the the sea monster thing very fascinating because you know not even just locks but like just the ocean and seas. Mm. I mean, there's, there's so much unexplored water out there. We don't know what's out there. And uh, just this past week, I had saw, I think it was a video on Facebook. Of, it it must have been Latin American because they, they were all speaking Spanish. Uh, but something washed up on the shore and it was huge. It was some kind of white creature. It had a long neck and you had it had a body. And uh, they were poking at it and stuff. They were, it must have been dead because they were walking up to it and they were poking at it with sticks and stuff. And it was about a minute-long a minute long video. I think it was actually two videos of it. And uh, they, you just see these people poking at this dead body of something. And, you know, they, I wish they would have walked around the other side because I think the other side is where the face would have been. And I was trying to make it out. Like, I was trying to think, what else could this be other than uh, some kind of sea monster? But it, it just it looked like a dead, washed-up sea monster. It was very fascinating.
4: I mean, you know what? There's there is really so much around. I the, the carcasses. I always find it's very difficult because there's so much um, degradation that goes on. You know, while something is rotting at sea, and we it's hard to make out what things are. I think bits of things disappear, and um, I know that you know. I've always been very ir- irritated with the old um, basking shark. Like decomposed baskin shark explanation. I think that's almost as bad as the sturgeon standing explanation for lake monsters and things like that. Um, and especially with things like the, the Stronze beast that we had you know, here in, um, and the Orkney Isles, off of, um, off of Scotland many, many years ago. It was drawn and it was described by people who are farmers and, and work with animals regularly. In such, a, you know, in such a way that it could not have possibly been a decomposed basket shark. The animal wasn't in a state of complete decomposition. When they had like this weird fiber on the back of its neck right under its tail, and, and when they sort of pushed it uh, against the grain, it let off a, a sort of bioluminescent sheen, almost. You know, it had this long neck with a tiny sheep-like head on it, and uh, they appeared to look like six legs, and this very long tail that was actually missing at the end. And even then, it was 55 feet long. And yet, you know, no Baskin shock has ever been recorded at that length, especially not decomposed. So we make these, like, big leaps. I think it's... um, It's kind of like a pervading paradigm of our time, isn't it? Is that these prehistoric creatures couldn't possibly still exist. So it's... Um, and Again, Roland Watson describes this really well. He says that... Uh, some of the skeptics or some people would rather not believe such things to exist. Um, you use something called the, my theory sucks the least theory.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, so it's kind of like, well, you know, yes, the description wasn't like a decomposed basket shark, but that definitely beats uh, saying that some prehistoric plesiosaur from the whatever, you know, Jurassic or whatever era, I don't know which one, uh, is still existing and, you know, swinging about in our seas to this very day. And yet, what I love about lake monsters and, and sea monsters is that there you are know, very few exceptions. If you, if you don't look at them in isolation, so the problem with the Loch Ness is you look at it in isolation, say, what could this Loch Ness thing be? But if you match it to Mora and like uh, Teji of Lake Bella and Bonessi, the ones of Lake you and Champ and Ogopogo and the uh, Lake Libinkia monster, and you put all of the descriptions together, you've got a match. You've got your corroboration between people that um, have no uh, communication with one another and are, are not trying to sell anything or earn or anything from it, other than ridicule is what most people get, right? Or they name of the paper for a couple of days. This is a match. I think a pleasure saw so is the best possible answer. And I think the only thing stopping us from accepting that is this As I say, pervading paradigm for a time, which is that they're dead. They don't exist anymore. They couldn't possibly exist because somehow philosophically that's uncomfortable for us. Yet, you know, we have the coelacans and the horseshoe crab and several species of prehistoric tree that turned up in Australia somewhere. But these animals are larger. They're more impressive prehistoric survivors, aren't they? So we don't want them to be around. And I think, well, why not? You know, we've absorbed. Um, or the theory of materialism, whatever, has absorbed all of these other um, prehistoric survivors. If you want to put it that way, why not just chuck a couple more in?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think that there's far too much mystery left in the world for us to just settle and yeah. think that we know everything that's out there. I just, I just can't imagine that to be true at all. No, me neither.
4: You know, you get into Google Earth and you zoom into any way you like, and you could get the impression that this. These places are discovered and uh, inhabited and examined. And what we found even here in this tiny country of Britain, that is far from the case. Most of the countryside is uninhabited um, or sparsely inhabited. And after dark, it's just dark. There's no lighting. There's no illumination. There's any checking. I think our, our issue with the big cats here are becoming ever more and more prominent in their sightings. Is a very good example of how an animal could quietly um, grow in number in this country without us noticing.
1: Is your check engine light on? Don't ignore it. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free. We'll retrieve the codes, discuss possible solutions, and even help you find a professional technician if needed. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today for our free check engine light help. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day.
2: O, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. O, O
1: your check engine light on don't ignore it stop by o'reilly auto parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free we'll retrieve the codes discuss possible solutions and even help you find a professional technician if needed visit o'reilly auto parts today for our free check engine light help o'reilly auto parts better parts better prices every
2: day oh 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 o'reilly auto parts
1: bolt your doors lock your windows Turn off your lights and come with me into the Weird Darkness. I'm Darren Marlar, the creator and host of Weird Darkness, bringing you true stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. New episodes seven days a week. Get the podcast at WeirdDarkness.com or search for Weird Darkness in your favorite podcast app.
0: To hit the trifecta today… Okay. Talk to me about these cryptids that are flying around. What is oh. it, like a pterodactyl or a thunderbird? What are we talking about here? Not a thunderbird. Um,
4: there's really been nothing like this thunderbird uh, spotted here, but there have been several pterosaur-like sightings uh, in this country over the years. It's even been a very, very recent one, uh, which was reported to... Uh, Jonathan Wickham of the uh, live pterosaur site who's often in Papua New Guinea investigating the rope and other creatures like that uh, it was reported to him from a, a lady that lived in Shropshire uh, in a town called Whitchurch. that was in September 2017 and she claimed that she was alerted to the presence of the creatures by a strange screech that sounded like nothing she'd heard before now the area she lives in is it's like a wildlife preserve this area. So she's, there's all types of wild birds there and other things that you're very used to living in that area. And she had not heard the screech before, and she heard the sound was coming closer. And across the way from behind some trees, she, saw, she said she was shocked to see two pterodactyls flying side by side that passed the trees and flew off fast until she lost sight of them between a clearing uh, in some woodland and houses. She described them as being much bigger than the biggest heron she'd ever seen, with large beaks and leathery wings. She said they were both grey in colour. And some days later, her 13-year-old son came running in from the garden, saying he'd seen a large bird with bat-like wings that made a strange screeching sound. Uh, So she showed him a picture of a pterosaur, and he confirmed, yes, this is what I saw. Wow. Uh, And there's been another sighting in that area that Jonathan's recently reported, or never witnesses, uh, come forward from that very same area to see that, say that he also saw something very similar uh, I think a, a few years before or maybe the year afterwards I'll just double check that for you but this is an amazing thing you know how how is it um, how is that possible so we've got a few more uh, this one I named the Air Valley Dragon so between the years of 1982-1985 a pterodactyl-like animal was seen several times in the skies above Air Valley in West Yorkshire. That's in the north of England. Very rural. It was in a wooded area known as the Devil's Punch Bowl. And um, that was in September, uh, I think, 1982. This prehistoric-looking creature was said by one of the witnesses to be flying low and erratically on large, bat-like wings. It was also witnessed by a resident of nearby Eldwick, who described a great creature with a pointed beak and short legs. Um, Okay, 1999, another man claimed to have seen something that looked like a pterodactyl. Said it was a grey-skinned batwing creature with a long, beak and massive wingspan. The creature rose up out of the bushes in front of him and flew away, leaving him confused and alarmed. And the second man, Percy Waterton, claimed to have seen two animals of a descript- similar description in the woods that backed onto his house. He believed that the strange creatures were frightening the bird population in the park and thought they might be nesting in the forest. Um, Southport is also similar, it's, it's in the north there. So there's, you know, there's quite a few different sightings, um, and there are other similar ones that go back to the 1900s in an area in Wales called Penling Castle, which is in Glamorgan, and that's Glamorgan's actually the region in Wales I, I come from. And um, this was apparently the home of winged serpents, small winged serpents uh, that terrified the local population. They were very colourful. Apparently they had eyes like the feathers in the peacock's tail, uh, multicolored uh, bodies, a head crest sparkling with all the colors of the rainbow and appeared as if they were covered with jewels. Um, they would often glide swiftly over people's heads if they were disturbed. And the old man at that time who reported them said that they were, they were killed, they were killed off by the local residents for stealing poultry all of the time. So that's what happened to them. It goes you know on and on, there's, there's a lot of different sightings like this. They're rare. They're not very common these sightings, but they do seem to appear every few, few years or so. And I've always wondered, you know, could this be a, kind of a stopping off point between maybe Africa or Western Europe and, and, and somewhere else? You know, so birds migrate to different uh, climates and different regions. In different parts of the year, and I always wondered, maybe these creatures are doing the
0: same. Yeah, and what are the chances of, like, the, you know, misidentification? Like, do you guys have any native animals that look remotely to what you just described? I think a heron would be a good fit.
4: Uh, The heron is a a wading bird, um, long legs, a long beak, very long beak, but uh, people here are familiar with herons. Um, They can be quite tall, maybe about two feet, three feet, perhaps, if they're very large. Um, They do have very prominent feathers when they're flying, however, which are are splayed as they're flying out. So I think to see something like that, that appear to have bat-like wings, would be quite strange. I think the qualification of the witnesses is important in these cases, because the first one, especially, who lives on this, this preserve, she states that she's very used to the different types of protected birds that that go through there um it's possible, of course, it's always possible. You have to wonder what would make somebody think that they've seen a prehistoric animal as opposed to a cormorant or a heron or, or something something else like that
0: right i mean i I guess if it is a case of misidentification it's just it's really somebody who maybe just isn't familiar with. The native animals, which I, I just yeah. you know hard to, possible. hard to believe though, when, when you're talking about, you know, majority of these people being adults and uh seeing yeah. they've been around a while, you know, so they even if they don't know what the animal is called, it's like, oh, I've seen that animal before. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean the herons are very, very common here. I mean that's the that's really the only
4: bird that would appear to me to have this the size needed and the appearance needed to, to um to possibly be mistaken as one of these things. But, yeah, it, it's, it would be that bird. If you look at the, um, the heron on, if you've got British heron, I suppose that would bring up um, a, a picture of what I'm talking about. I, I filmed one of them. They're, they're always in the rivers around here fishing.
0: And um, I, I
4: would find it difficult to identify as some prehistoric creature, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah,
0: I, I I would agree with you on that.
4: Yeah, but it's always about the witness, you see. Because, and this is why I like to really focus on witness testimony. Is I look for really mundane. Um, you must do the same mundane elements in the story, because when you see something shocking, that the scene is always preserved in your mind, and it's, uh, in it's a very tiny detail. You always remember. I remember on that day that I paused a tree, and the branch was broken strangely, and, and then I saw this thing. So there's always these small, silly details that don't need to belong to the story, but the witness can't forget. It's not like a sign of trauma or a shock of some kind. Um, so I'm always looking out for those those tiny details. And some of these stories have them. They have these, um as I call them, mundane details. They're boring details that you don't need to know. They almost qualify the validity of the uh, the testimony.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Andy let me tell you something man. it's been a pleasure having you on again and uh, sharing some of the things that have been going on and I'm really excited for you man that you're coming here stateside and yeah
4: you're doing too. it you're, you're
0: gonna be very productive in those two weeks, very very <laughs> productive. so uh, real quick, before we get out of here, uh, I just want you to revisit and just tell everybody where you're going to be, on what dates and also uh, where they can get your book and where they can find you on the yes. interweb. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm going to be at International
4: Cryptozoology Conference in Portland, Maine, on the first and second of September. I'll be speaking on the second, uh, but I do suggest you know coming along for the two days. Then I'll be in Lake Champlain uh, in the following week, from Monday to Friday, and then I'm arriving at CryptidCon in uh, Lexington uh, or Frankfurt, sorry, Kentucky, where I'll be speaking. For those guys, and I think Cliff and Bobo and Bob Gimling and um, a bunch of other amazing people are going to be there. Also, me, I'll be kicking about. Um, I will be on like a little stand, you know, when I'm not speaking during the conference. So I'll, I'll have books and things there. But for people who want to get my book online, it's on Amazon, so Amazon.com or whichever one complies to your country. It's there paperback, there's uh, Kindle, and I think if you've got Kindle Unlimited, it's free to read on Kindle Unlimited, so you can just kind of pick it up and have a look. Um, you can find me on facebook.com forward slash uh, twitter.com forward slash Britain, and I'm on Instagram and, and Pinterest in the, the, the same way. YouTube a little bit. I'm starting to do a bit more on YouTube, uh, but need to sort of chalk up a few more investigations before I really flying there and um, if anybody's interested in having a look there is a little tv pilot for a series that i plan to make uh, but haven't <laughs> i'm going to be pitching that this year as well uh, and they can see kind of what i put together and um contact me on facebook i'm always happy to chat you know regardless of who you are we'll take the time to speak to you
0: awesome man well i really appreciate you coming on and sharing these things man And until next time you take care sir Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Great to speak to you. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, there are three things you can do to help support the show. One, you can go to iTunes leave a five-star rating and review. Two, you can go to patreon.com forward slash The Confessionals and become a patron of the show. Or three, you can take this link to the show that you're listening to right now and share it around social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. I don't care where you share it, just share it around social media. And that will help the show out a lot as well. And if you're not following us on Twitter, go to Twitter and find us at T Confessionals. That's at T Confessionals. Or me personally at Tony underscore Merkel. That's Tony underscore Merkel. And before we get out of here, I want to bring on Wes Germer. He's been waiting to come on. And I want to clear the air about what happened on the show last week, his show last week, not ours, his. And there's a big debacle that happened. And I just want to clear the air with Wes tonight. So Wes, you're on the air, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tony. It's a great honor to be on the confessional. Uh, actually, Wes, hang on a second. I got a call coming in. Hang on. Yo,
3: Jack, what's up, man? Hey, Tony, you're not busy right now, are you?
0: No, I was just recording with Wes, but I just put him on hold because I saw you were calling. So no big deal. What's up?
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just, you know, uh, thinking real quick. I know we were talking earlier about that wasp nest that you saw um, on your neighbor's house over the driveway. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I was just wondering, I, I was wondering if you could possibly go to the com and hit that contact section. And just shoot me an email real quick. I, I want to make sure that I remember to come out and check around your house because I really don't want you guys to get infested with wasps. Like, you know, It's that time of year where they're really active. So if you could just make sure that you get in touch with me on the greenwaypestcontrol.com and hit that contact section. Seriously, that'd be great for me. So mm-hmm. I remember to come out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can do that. I yeah, With that whole wasp thing, I mean, I was just, you know, I was worried about everything because the wasp nest was really directly across my house on the other side of the driveway. And this thing was huge. I mean, I'm talking like you saw it. It was what, I don't know, 10 inches bit like long. I mean, it was absolutely huge and the wasps were all over the place. I wasn't going to mow my lawn next to it. And so, you know, I I talked to Ross next door and uh, he took care of it the other day. And, you know, it's just, you know, I've been so busy with everything. I've wanted to look around my house and stuff. I hadn't had a chance. I know I told you I wouldn't stuff. I've just been, been really busy and, and, to be honest with you, dude, I've been very frustrated this past week. You know, Wes, oh. I was on, I was supposed to be on Wes's show last week and he just, he totally blew me off. He actually freaking ordered a pizza Whoa. when I was supposed to be on. Yeah, I know. Right. Like oh it was my just, gosh. dude, I'm telling you, like it was such a frustrating thing and I was, I was just so frustrated. I, I told you I was going to walk around the house. And I didn't get a chance to and stuff, but uh-huh. um, I'm I'm definitely going to do it um, unless you're going to come down and do it. I don't know, but uh, I'll definitely shoot you that email to remind yeah. you because I, I, I just don't have time and stuff and Lin- I'm not going to tell Lindsay to do it, uh, but I've definitely been worried about it because every time I come home, a lot of times I like walking around outside with Ben and stuff and I've been worried about that because these things are freaking everywhere. Oh, and- yeah, yeah. I told I told Ross, you know, to take care of it, and he did. And what happened was he went out there and he had like this heavy duty spray, and he really did take care of it. I mean, they're gone now, but the wasp nest is still hanging there, so it's kind of frustrating. But it is what it is. At least the wasps are gone. But he used that like heavy, heavy duty stuff, and I I didn't really want that around the house with the baby and all the chemicals and stuff. And that's why I wanted you to take care of it. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, the heavy duty stuff it does. You know, it does work most of the time, but it definitely can be hazardous for, you know, especially for kids and pets to breathe in. And so that's why, you know, when you go with the Greenway Pest Control, you're not going to have to worry about that. And, you know, I know you know that already. It's just I want you to make sure that you're safe and your family's safe. And so that's why, you know, we always use organic stuff. Everything we use is 100% organic, and especially to take care of wasps, you know. That's that's some stuff that can be dangerous. We don't want you guys to have to breathe anything like that in and to live around that. So, you know, we'll make sure we take care of that. Just make sure you hit that contact section on the greenwaypestcontrol.com and shoot me that email so I can come out for you. Okay, man.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll definitely do that and stuff. I'll actually probably do that right after I hang up with you and stuff, because I'm really, I'm really concerned about it. And you guys, ever since I had you guys start servicing my house and stuff, I mean, it's just, it's worked out great. And uh, I'm glad that I can help you out, you know, because I mean, you're pretty much working to own the company. And so it's one of those things where I'm trying to uh, take care of my house and my family, but also support you. And it's a great way to do it. So uh, I'm I don't know, man. I'm just telling you straight up, honest. Like your service is really good. I I've really enjoyed oh. it. And we, you've been serving us serving us for what two, three years now. And it's yeah. I mean, it's really helped a lot and stuff. And especially with the baby now, and having knowing that you guys have all green products, I just I don't have to worry about you guys treating the house. And then with Ben crawling around and walking and stuff, that he's gonna get into something because you know how that kid is. He puts everything I in do. his mouth. Yeah. Puts everything in his mouth. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like I, I like. I never thought that having a baby would be so, uh, time consuming. Like I was like, ah, it's nothing. But this kid, like you have to watch him. He puts everything in his mouth. So, uh, knowing that you guys over at Greenway are, are really taking care of things on that end. It's really nice to know because it's just healthier and Lindsay's happier. I'm happier. And as long as Lindsay's happy, I'm happy. You know what I mean?
3: Oh yeah, man. Well, I mean, as much as you love your kids, we want your kids to be healthy. So, our priority is always trying to be you know um, as safe and as as effective as possible, so especially when it comes to that, you know your house is is my priority to keep safe,
0: yeah, man. like I wanted to ask you real quick because uh, I have a friend that owns like a commercial building, he actually rents out offices inside his commercial building, and he was talking about how he had some issues with pests. Uh, do you guys service bigger buildings or is it just houses? Oh.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we go from uh, residential, so I mean, we'll take care of your house, but we can also take care of commercial. You know, um, and no size is too big, really. You know, we can take care of pretty much anything that comes in our way. Um, you know, if it's if it's offices, that's that's something that we can absolutely take care of.
0: Okay, gotcha. I'll let him know and stuff, and I'll actually shoot him uh, your phone number, and hopefully he can get a hold of you as well and stuff. But uh, uh, what was the website it called again?
3: yeah it's the greenway okay
0: thegreenwaypestcontrol.com hit the connection section actually no that's my show that is
3: your show man <laughs> hit, hit, <laughs> hit the contact I'm, I'm, section I'm the contact section yeah, yeah there you go
0: <laughs> oh I'm every time every time I refer to a website and the contact section I always say connection section because I'm always recording from my show on a weekly basis and it's just it's like embedded to me now but the yeah. contact section got it if I go to your website and I start looking for the connection section I'm like ah what was he talking about you
3: know? <laughs> exactly yeah we don't don't want you to be confused,
0: how long have you guys been around
3: oh we've been we've been servicing you know the and mm, about ten and a half years eleven years now
0: dang man okay cool well uh definitely can take care of that email for you and I'll shoot your number over to my friend and uh maybe you guys can start servicing his commercial building and stuff like that but yeah man listen I gotta get back to west and stuff I, right. I gotta handle this Jeez, but
3: man good luck with that
0: yeah i know all right bro I'll talk to you see ya bye all right, Wes. Well, listen. I'm back with you, but I don't think we're going to do this tonight because I'm just. It's I had an to, honor to be. No, Wes. Hang on a second. Timeout. I, I, I was, I, I was going to have you. All, for tonight, meet Wes, to the Wes, show, Wes. No, stop. Listen. I was not gonna try to be angry tonight and stuff and I had a really good conversation with my brother I don't think I can handle this conversation right now about what happened with you last week on your show so we're just not gonna do this right now I had a lady uh, named Kelly contact me on Facebook this past week ranting about you and I I, I just I'm, I really can't handle talking to you right now about this lady Kelly or what happened to your show uh, those are my no, West that's West that, that's it we're, that's I'm, it you're out of here shut <laughs>
2: up
1: engine light on don't ignore it stop by o'reilly auto parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free we'll retrieve the codes discuss possible solutions and even help you find a professional technician if needed visit o'reilly auto parts today for our free check engine light help o'reilly auto parts better parts better prices every day oh,
2: oh, oh, O'Reilly. O'Reilly. auto parts Is your
1: check engine light on? Don't ignore it. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free. We'll retrieve the codes, discuss possible solutions, and even help you find a professional technician if needed. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today for our free check engine light help. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. O,
2: O, O, O'Reilly Auto Parts. your check
1: engine light on, don't ignore it. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free. We'll retrieve the codes, discuss possible solutions, and even help you find a professional technician if needed. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today for our free check engine light help. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day.
2: O, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Is your
1: check engine light on? Don't ignore it. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today and let our professional parts people scan your vehicle for free. We'll retrieve the codes, discuss possible solutions, and even help you find a professional technician if needed. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today for our free check engine light help. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day.
2: Oak, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.